Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Francis Seeley from Globalnet 21 and this is one of the podcasts that we're doing in the Conversations Across Borders series and we're going to talk about a number of issues in this series and today we're going to take the bull by the horns and deal with the topic of Brexit, how Brexit is affecting the UK, how it's impacting on Europe and what we think the future will be. Now that's a very hot topic and the problems it raises are ones that no one knows totally what the answers are but I think it's important to discuss it and to discuss it today we've got Ricard Idrenis and Marina Finetto. Marina's going to lead this and uh, develop a conversation between Ricard and myself. So let's go over to Marina now and start the conversation. Thank you so much, Ricard. Uh, Francis, really happy to be here and welcome, Ricard. Uh, really happy to have you with us today. And uh, we can start uh, with you. You, um, um, you have started uh, a podcast uh, about Brexit. Why did you do it and uh, what kind of topics have you been speaking about during the last two years? Thank you. Uh, um, I'm very happy to be joining in your uh, podcast, uh, live uh, and Facebook. Um, um, I started in a Brexit podden uh, in 2017 in March because I felt that there was so little discussion about this very important issue, Brexit, in the Swedish media. Uh, a lot of focus was and still is on Trump and American politics but less on uh, our relationship with the EU and the relationship with the UK and the big issue of Brexit and how it will affect uh, Sweden, both uh, us as a private persons, but also Swedish businesses to do that do trading with, uh, uh, with UK. And uh, um, when, when after the general elections in December, it, it looks really like that the uh, UK is heading to a withdrawal at the end of January. Uh, Francis, how, how uh, were the reactions and how is the situation uh, in Sweden now? And for you then, Ricard, uh, how were the reactions in, in Sweden and uh, uh, how is the situation now in your opinion? I mean, we could talk about the situation in the UK and no one quite knows how it's going to sort of bear out in the future. One of the things that we do know is that what Brexit has done in the UK, and I think it's done it in the rest of Europe as well, is it's exposed a lot of divisions that already existed. It became the catalyst for letting, you know, for opening up Pandora's box. And, you know, Dealing with those tensions are going to be one of the big problems of the next few years. Now we can go in those, go into those in in a moment, but clearly there are divisions that politicians and everyone else, and particularly politicians, did not address for years. And Brexit has brought that that out into the open. And it's not just Brexit that's doing it; it's many other things as well. So it's a real deep-seated problem. Uh, Ricard, and uh, the, uh, you, you mentioned that you said exactly this podcast because uh, in Sweden, for example, we did not speak about that much. Uh, how was the reaction after December? 
Yes, I talked with some companies and of course there is a, a relief now. Now we will know that what will happen. We, will, we know now that will be a Brexit. Uh, we don't know the consequences yet because we don't know what kind of, for example, customs arrangement that the UK will have with the EU. But it's a, uh, it's a relief now. We know that it will be a Brexit, even if you don't like it. Uh, most uh, companies and people in Sweden don't like the Brexit. Uh, because we have a very close cooperation with the, the UK in the EU, and it's a, UK is a close ally to Sweden. So um, we, we are happy now that we have a, we know what will happen, but we are sad that the UK is leaving the EU. Uh, you, you, you mentioned this insecurity and security, and so the wish to find a way somehow. Uh, Francis, um, how and why do you think that uh, Boris? Uh, um, Johnson um, were, were able to win. What? Why? Why did it make? It? I, I, <laughs> I think that's a question a lot of people are asking. You got to remember the number of reasons why we won. First, we have a first past the post system. We don't have a proportional representation system, and that means with just over forty percent of the votes, indeed, even with thirty mid thirty percent, you can get a majority in the House of Commons. So that was one thing. The other thing is I think that they really concentrated on the message to get Brexit done. And someone said that if, if people forget everything about the present election, the 2019 election, they will remember that phrase. He distilled the, the election into a simple message which the Labour Party didn't do. And that I think was very, very successful uh, electioneering. And the Labour Party, I think, was in a mess. Um, they came up with a, a huge manifesto of promises all at the last minute, one after the other. And people were not quite sure whether they could deliver. And the trust in politicians, you know, was there were the distrust in politicians was increased because there was promise after promise after promise. Good manifesto, but people didn't really think they could achieve it. So I think Boris Johnson won on the basis of that. And also the feeling, gosh, you know, we've had this for two years. We want to get it over one way or the other and then move on. Yes, and uh, then um, when uh, as, assuming that the European Parliament is uh, going to give the green light and um, the EU, um, UK is going to leave at the end of January, but it is going to be only the next step in the Brexit process because then uh, they are going to enter in this um, uh, transition period of one year where they have to deal the, a new trade. And uh, Francis, and uh, uh, we can start with you, Richard. What do you think uh, uh, are the challenges here? Uh, the challenges is, of course, that it is very short time that we have this transition period. It's supposed to end in the uh, since Brexit was postponed from 31st of March and then postponed again uh, now to uh, to October and then again to uh, January. The the transition period has been very shortened. Uh, so it's very short, it's the end of December, and that is of course how to handle and negotiate a trade deal that is complicated in such a short time. Uh, how will that happen? That's everyone asking now. Uh, and what will be the consequences of this trade deal? Uh, will Boris Johnson succeed and how will EU, how tough will EU be in these negotiations? Um, that's that's um, on top of my mind on, on, on this. And um, Richard, and what what are in your opinion the uh, 
most important or most difficult sectors and topics? Uh, usually in, uh, in this kind of trade negotiations is uh, fishery. Fishery policy is one of the topics that is very difficult. Agricultural policies, uh, those uh, policies that are very um, demanding and, and uh, breaking into areas that we have strong national interests. So I think that will be very tough. Of course, focus will be on the areas on, on customs and uh, trade. Um, that's our, our key for both UK and European businesses. Uh, Sweden have a lot of trade with the UK and for Swedish companies, the best is of course, if it is more or less uh, business as usual, that it is no big changes. But this is uh, of course, a lot to do. What will, how will the, the UK custom services, what will they decide on what kind of uh, uh, documents, administrative documents that you need when you're clearing your, uh, your uh, products over the border. So um, uh, we, are, we are going into an intense phase now and very difficult negotiations. And, and Francis, what, uh, what do you think uh, are the lessons learned from, uh, when we can say then, uh, the, the politicians in your country? As well, are, uh, are they going to be able to go into this trade deal in another way? Or what, what are you expecting? Um, I don't know what I'm expecting, and I don't think anyone knows what they're expecting, and that's the problem. You know, I, th I think there are sensitive areas. I mean, fisheries and agriculture clearly are two of them, but environmental issues, workers' rights, pollution, and so on, is another area. And, and the problem is we've got uh, 11 months to negotiate it and take something like fisheries. That takes much, much longer in that because, you know, the politicians have really the sort of baseline and from there they go into the industrial um, discussion that takes a long, long time. And Boris Johnson is saying, we want this concluded by the end of December this year. And, uh, you know, if, if, if we don't, then well, who knows, we may be out of the EU without any agreement and we may be then trading on world um, WTO, World Trade Organization basis, which, uh, you know, is something that frightens many, many people in this country, people want to deal. We could even remain in the EU, who knows? Um, you know, the, the debate on Brexit is not over. We've just been through the very first stage. Um, the next stage is going to be even more difficult. And I think many of us believe that Boris Johnson doesn't really understand how difficult it's going to be. And I think that's a problem that we have to come to terms with. Yes, the, the, the UK got a new uh, government, but actually the election results spoke really about a divided country. How, how are you dealing with this? I don't think we are dealing with it. I mean, I think there are three divisions, three problems that we face, and, and Europe as well. I mean, I mean, one is that Brexit has shown, I mean, I live in London, I live in Enfield in North London, and, and London and Enfield is a Remain territory. They wanted to stay in, but in the north of England, they voted in many places overwhelmingly to leave. Partly that's because the north of England feels neglected. Over many, many years, they've seen industry, steel industry, shipping industry, the coal mining industry decline, their communities have disintegrated, and they felt left behind. And Brexit gave them a chance to actually revolt against that. And that's one problem that has to be solved. The, the other problem is the generational conflict. Young people voted overwhelmingly to remain. 
older people voted overwhelmingly to leave. And so we have a huge, you know, uh, generational conflict of expectation and wanting things to remain the same. And then we have the problem of migration that all of Europe faces. And we've handled that really badly in the UK. We've had migration and, and instead of having multiculturalism, we've had silo culturalism where, you know, migrant communities have been placed in almost silo ghettos and people aren't meeting and integrating together and talking together and having the dialogue they should. So those three problems are the, the problems that Brexit has brought up. And if we don't resolve those, um, you know, just resolving Brexit is not enough. And uh, Ricard, um, um, this, uh, what, what kind of um, lessons uh, should the EU learn from the situation in the UK. So Brexit is not only, of course, a UK problem, but this is an EU problem. Yes, I agree. And I agree with what, what Francis has said. Uh, I think lesson has to be learned that uh, EU has to uh, be better to communicate with its citizens on the benefits of the EU membership. Uh, you, you talk often about these kitchen table <laughs> arguments that you can use when you discuss EU with your family, that EU has to have better kitchen uh, table arguments uh, for all citizens in Europe um, uh, and the citizens in the EU in particular. Um, and of course, uh, I think how to make the EU more democratic, how to make EU more legitimate uh, is very key. And also, how is media covering EU issues? Um, I started the, my podcast about Brexit because I felt that the traditional media in Sweden did not cover uh, Brexit as good as they could. And it's, since it's such an important issue for both uh, pe people living in the UK, we have over 100,000 Swedes living in London and in the UK, mainly in London. How will they be affected by Brexit? This is has been discussed much more lately when we realized that there will be a Brexit but uh, in traditional media. But I think EU and uh, national media has to be much better on communicating from the Brussels what is happening in the legislation and what, how, it will, how it affects normal people and the, in, the, uh, in their lives. Yeah, I mean, can I sort of add to that? I mean, I, I, I think that's right. I think one of the problems that Europe has had is that it hasn't communicated well, but not only has it not communicated well, it's not organized itself well. There's been a tension between the sort of German and the French view of what Europe should be. They've tried to, you know, sort of stick together, but the French one, the more centralized Europe, which is, you know, their tradition of, of, of bureaucracy. And, um, you know, you, it, the more you expand Europe, then the, 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 the bigger the pressures of decentralization become because not everybody wants to go on the same journey. And France and, and Germany have tried to get everyone to go on the same journey. And they're going to have to come to a new accommodation of a sort of confederation of different interests rather, this, rather than this centralized bureaucratic model which they developed over the years. And that's where reform's got to be. And they've got to devolve much, much more decision-making to nation states and to communities than they have. France tends to want to have all everything centralized. And I think that's one of the big problems with Britain. They don't like that sort of, you know, centralization. So I think, you know, if you're going to expand, 
you won't be able to expand on a very bureaucratic centralized model. And I don't think Europe has really learned that yet. Yes, I, I, uh, the, this is the, the, the question is also what kind of role is the um, business community playing in this? As it is a political situation, but it is also an economic uh, situation. Uh, what do you think about this, Ricard? Um, of course, it's a, I think for the big companies, that is what the impression I have when talking to different companies. And um, I have a podcast about custom services also, Tullpodden. Uh, where we talk a lot about how customs uh, are affected by Brexit, uh, that big companies, large companies uh, are prepared for Brexit, but medium-sized and small companies are not prepared and they have to do the lessons. Um, I think also one comment is that for Sweden, uh, we're losing our uh, political influence um, since there are few countries that are in the EU, but outside the EMU, outside the Euro. So the question is for Sweden, and for Denmark, uh, for example, uh, how will, will we join the Euro in the long run to, to gain political influence that we lose as a result of Brexit? And that is also a big shift in democracy. Uh, the central bank in Sweden will lose its power and it will be centralized to ECB in Frankfurt. Uh, so the, the question for businesses in Sweden is how can Sweden be outside Euro in the long run or at five, ten years? And I think the answer is it depends on what be, be the effects of Brexit. It's a bit too early to say. I mean, that's a big question. I don't think anyone knows that yet. Um, there are real pressures in some countries now to leave the, uh, the EU. There's a Brexit in, in, in France. They, they, there's a strong movement there. Spain and, and Italy have shown some resistance to, um, you know, the growth of the European Union is, is at the moment. And the whole of Eastern Europe has a very different view of what Europe should be. Um, and then you have underneath of all that, the growth of populism, the growth of nationalist particularism coming up, um, where people are saying, we want to control our own destiny. We don't want it from top down. And so it, how all those forces play out against the need for intergovernmental um, decision-making because of the huge, big areas we have to face in the next 10 years, like climate change and pollution and so on, which demands people working together. These two forces, of particularism and, and internationalism are gonna really play out. And I don't think anyone quite knows at the moment which of those are gonna win out. Yeah, this is, this is uh, even the question, if, is the Brexit the, the start of a long series of uh, countries leaving or is the start of a restructuring and rebuilding of the EU, what do you think? Uh, do you think that Brexit is going to be the start of a, a series of countries leaving the EU or it is going to be the start of a new moments of, uh, of a, for a better EU? Well, I think that uh, there will be and, uh, no interest now to, to follow the path of the UK since it has been so chaotic and uh, so creating some, so much uncertainty. Uh, I, I think that um, the, the, this uh, shows how difficult, this process Brexit shows how difficult it is to leave the EU and leave with a good uh, deal. I mean, the Theresa May's deal was voted down, I don't know how many times, and the new deal is not much, it's not much different from the old deal that she made. 
So Jonsson made some small changes and then it, he, made, he pushed it through. He was a better politician and a better strategic person, I think, in, in handling the Brexit. So I, no, I don't think that, that uh, there will be more countries following. But I agree with Francis that nationalistic parties, populistic parties, uh, can get stronger as a result of Brexit and that in the long run, this will have impact on European politics. Yes, in, in one of your podcasts, uh, you mentioned that, uh, as you, you asked the, the big question, what if uh, Brexit is a success for, for the UK? What if it is turns out as a positive uh, change in the UK? Uh, what if? Yes, uh, well, the, then uh, some countries might uh, be... be uh, but the, 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 the interesting thing is that, for example, in Sweden, uh, the, the, um, in, if you look at the opinion polls, uh, there is more people now uh, that is positive to the EU project than before Brexit. So the, the support for the EU has increased in Sweden. Uh, so that's an interesting aspect of this, I think. And Francis, what is happening uh, with, the, with the amount of people in the UK that do not want to leave the UK, the, the EU? Of course. Well, they're feeling pretty sore at the moment <laughs> and, 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 you know, can't quite believe what, what's hit them. But I, I, I think that uh, there, there are some people that are hoping that it will still remain. There are some people that are hoping that we will rejoin at some point. But I think there's a growing number of people and, uh, you know, the number of organizations that are looking at uh, as well, how we can have a, a new and a different type of Europe. Um, we've looked at, we talked to some people in, you know, it's called Europe Future Fringe, I think. Uh, a number of organizations have got together and said, the future of Europe really depends not upon politicians so much because they don't actually know any more than we do. They're in a state of confusion about what's going to happen and what we've got to do is galvanize civil society throughout Europe, get involved with community groups and citizens and organizations and build Europe again from the bottom up. Now, I think there's a growing movement to do that. And a number of people are very interested in that. It's about the renewal of Europe, not in a sort of bureaucratic way, but in a sort of bottom up democratic way. And I think those people who are disappointed with what's happened with Brexit, can get some hope out of the fact that if we work together in civil so, civil society, we might be able to change. We might be able to achieve something positive. Um, you you mentioned it already before, uh, Francis, uh, that uh, there are somehow um, a, a big difference with, between also generations, as of from people older and younger people. And if we look at the movement like the, the climate movement and the other movements as well, the people engage with uh, in the cleaning of the ocean, for example. Uh, the, the, there is a hope that there's going to be like a political situation, but at the same way, a cultural development that it's different. How do you think about this? I, I, I think there will be a, a sort of cultural change. You know, the, if you sort of look at the next 10 years, I mean, the big issue is not going to be Brexit. Um, and it's not going to be a number of other things that we might think of the big issue. The big issue is going to be climate change. It's going to be whether in the next 10 years we have a planet, 
people can live on at the end of this century or not. Um, and, you know, the younger generation are getting unbelievably involved in that. And they know that in order to achieve that, we've got to work together. And young people are sort of pressing their governments in a way that, um, you know, we, we didn't think possible two years ago. Um, so I think it, that, that sort of climate change imperative is going to change politics dramatically in the next 10 years. And it's going to change the way people behave in Europe. It's going to make people think about how we can work together more. So culturally, I think there is a lot of hope um, to achieve that. Whether we achieve it in time in terms of climate change, I don't know, but it will be a force for a more integrated rather than a more separatist effort. And, and uh, Richard, uh, if, we, if we think about the, the future, a short term, two years, uh, a little bit longer perspective, like 10 years, uh, what do you think that it's going to look like? And what do you wish we would think more about or speak more about? Yes, I agree with Francis. I mean, the environmental issues are very important. And Greta Thunberg has made her name. Uh, she's come from Sweden and is one of the most well-known Swedes in Sweden and abroad uh, in the whole world. Uh, and so I think the EU will focus on the environmental issues. I totally agree with Francis. But I also think that since now the UK is leaving, there will be a big hole in the EU budget. So the question is, what should, how should you fill this hole? Um, should the EU have a right to taxation? Or is there other ways of uh, filling the hole? Uh, do the EU have to save on some areas uh, money in order to have a budget imbalance? Uh, I think that will be a real big demand now uh, to solve this issue, a big challenge for uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the new uh, EU commission uh, chief. Uh, so, EU has a lot of challenges ahead of it, uh, uh, and uh, Brexit doesn't help. There will be a lack of money now when uh, EU is going in for the next budget, the five-year budget. And, and Francis, how, how is your, your short and long-term perspective, and what, we, what should we speak more about? Um, well, I, mean, I mentioned it. I think the climate change is, is the thing that's going to shape our long-term perspective. But all the other things that I mentioned earlier about the how we've left communities behind, we've got to look at, because if we don't deal with that, uh, another Brexit of a different kind is going to emerge in the future where people are going to you know, support populist parties because they feel that's the way they get their voice heard. We're going to have to deal with a generational conflict and we're going to have to work about how we can have more cohesion in society by bringing people from different cultures together and not, you know, separating them out into ghettos and silos. And I, I think Brexit, if you want a positive thing that's come from it, it's a realization that we've got to deal with those problems. We've been ignoring them for so long. So Brexit could be the positive spur to dealing with those. It's not a nice, not a nice positive spur. And there are lots of, you know, negatives about it, but at least it's focused on, on our mind on the fact that there are problems that we've been hiding under the carpet for far too long. Yes, this would be also my wish for the future, that we really um, start thinking and dealing um, as a more 
openly with this kind of problems and the questions, not ignoring the question, not ignoring um, voices uh, coming from different communities, different parts of our societies, but really start dealing with them and uh, go into the conversation, take up um, the questions and try to find together uh, some answers. Mm -hmm.